Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. We're here for B-Sides. Remember B-Sides? I'm back, baby. Do I ever? Do they ever go anywhere? I don't know. <laughs> We're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to try something a little different. See if you even notice. No. You won't notice. I probably won't notice. <laughs> We're going to start with X-Factor number 71, the all-new, all-different X-Factor, with a new beginning, a new team, their first adventure. Well, they don't really have their first adventure. This is kind of the beginning of their first adventure. This issue is great. Yeah. I completely dismissed it as a kid because the artwork was goofy and it wasn't Jim Lee. The artwork is definitely something that as a child I was like, this looks dumb. Yes. But I bought the first two issues because I really liked the writing. But it wasn't enough to sustain me because, like, I just couldn't get past the art, probably. Right. Or probably I was buying five books and I was like, that's too many books. Ugh, $5 a month. The same. I would have bought this because it was part of sort of the X relaunch, right? So I have X-Force, X-Men, X-Factor, Uncanny X-Men. Yeah. I don't think I bought issue 72. And reading this issue, I don't, I don't think I ever finished this issue. I probably read, like, the first couple of pages and I was like, nope. <laughs> The artist here is Larry Stroman, and I think we've talked about him before. I don't think it's been a negative conversation, but he's he's got a style, for sure, and it's very sparse. And in some of the images, like, uh, I'm just going to skip forward here real quick to page four. You see this Lorna Dane where she's kind of looking up. There's only a handful of lines that make her face, and I feel like that's a, like a, like a modern, how do, I don't know, postmodern or... There's a, there's a word that describes kind of the lack of detail. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of something that you would see in a fashion magazine. Yes, that's tr- what I'm trying to get at. And you hit the the nail on the head there. It just seems like a, a, an advertise a fashion magazine advertisement image. And that's not a negative thing, by the way. That's that's uh, I don't know. No, so I mean, you know, to be honest, the, uh, as an aside, I have two books on fashion magazine art that I just like. They're, I think it's from the 40s and the 50s, and I love it. It's like, I don't know, some some comic book artist, I think it was Phil Noto, kind of got me into that and made me realize that Phil Noto is basically doing a style that is based on fashion magazines from the 40s and 50s, which got me into this other artist who was not a comic book guy, who was an artist for like fashion magazines, and I have one of his books. And then I ended up buying these 40s and 50s fashion books. that just They're just filled with art. They're like, like, like coffee table books. Right. But yeah, this, this is exactly like some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. You just take away some of the inks, and I think you're you're right right at where you're talking about. But yeah, the cover here, you've, you've basically got your new team bursting through, sort of bursting through the page. You got Havoc. Guido, Lorna Dane, Polaris, I suppose, Multiple Man, Multiple Multiple Men, and uh, Wolfsbane. And we know some of these people are in Genosha. Correct. And, and they will actually deal with that. They will. So we open up. It's, it's written by Peter David. Larry Stroman's The Penciler. It's a new direction measured to exacting standards by this team. Al Milgram's The Inker. Michael Heisler's The Letter. Glennis Oliver's The Colors. Bob Harris is the editor. And Tom DeVelco is the editor-in-chief. And we... book is called Cutting the Mustard, and it does focus around somebody, well, all of the team, trying desperately to open this mustard jar. It's a jar of mayonnaise. Well, it's a jar of Grey Poupon, isn't it? Is it? 
mayonnaise. No, I thought it was mayonnaise. Oh, Why okay. I think it was mayonnaise. Nope, nope. You're right. So they have a, a they make the joke like, "Do you have any grape poupon?" But there is also the 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 mayonnaise jar that they can't open. Right. Which okay. I want to imagine is symbolic of something, but I don't think it is. No, it turns out in the end, spoilers, that it's a practical joke by Jamie Madrox. Yes. But still, I, I just wish it was a metaphor for things happening in this issue. But it's oh, I'm not. sure. <laughs> I'm sure to a couple of smarter guys it would be. Maybe, yeah. Like guys who are able to like do like interpretations of things. Yes. Yeah, maybe, but that's not us. Yeah, no, no, no. Maybe, maybe the mayonnaise is a glimpse of what the initial X Factor arc will be. <laughs> Just being <laughs> stuck and not being able to do a simple task. That they are unable to effectively use teamwork and they all can't do anything individually. Maybe. Let's go with that. We get a sort of a conversation between Polaris and Guido, and I don't know if they're just trying to be cute because Lauren is like, Guido, is it? And he's like, Guido, it is. Lorna, is it? Lorna, it is. And they met on Muir Island, and, and remember Guido sexually assaulted, <laughs> essentially, Lorna Dane. Uh, he's just, he is a very forward 90s style guy, and yeah, nowadays it's definitely awkward. Taking aside that Muir Island thing, which we discussed at length in that episode, it just feels like they're introducing each other to one another, but they've already met. It's a it's a first issue, you know. You want to you wanna redo that sort of thing, right. just to make sure that People that didn't read that issue are aware that this is where everything begins. So he is—he doesn't sexualize her this time, so no. that's good. It's no. an improvement. <laughs> no. there, there's flirting happening, right? So Lorna's like, hey, you know, we're X-Factor. We're a government agency. We got a cool base. We got things that we need to, to fulfill our mission. And, and Alex is coming back. They're going to go get Alex. And I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Guido's like, well, if it doesn't work out with him, I'm always here. And she's like, you and me? What are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm into you sort of thing. And she's like, okay. But, again, he does it in a, as you mentioned, forward 90s way that's not, like, creepy? It's a little creepy. Is it? But okay. I mean, but it's... It's 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 not like the like in the previous issue you were talking about he like he gets her to bend over and then yeah. he's like yeah, yeah that's, that's what I'm talking the, about yeah. and that, that's just kind of gross exactly this is not gross this is just a, a 90s guy being like hey baby I'm into you sort of thing so it's kind of it's not really creepy it's just kind of skeezy you think so if you can if you can I don't know I I don't think it's I guess, you know, you know what? It's probably perfectly fine. It's just something that I, as a human being, would never do to another human being. Right. You and I are not that forward type of a guy. Now, I also think it depends on how you read it, right? So if you say, look, Dane, if guy, if the guy's dumb enough to let you go, that just clears the way for us. Versus, hey, if the guy's dumb enough to let you go, that just clears the way for us. I think depending on how you deliver that line, it could be creepy or flirtatious. You and me, us, Guido, we really don't even know each other. Which is accurate, yep. A 90s guy like me says what he feels. I'm what you call sensitive. Of course, some bloke got a problem with that, then I'll defenestrate him. I don't know what that means, but... It means I'll throw him out a window. Oh. Defenestrate is the act of throwing somebody out a window. I learned that from the Chucky series. I, I, sh I need to watch that series. In which Chucky says, that's one of my seven favorite ways of murdering somebody 
defenestrate. I can't believe that there is a word to describe the act of throwing somebody out of a window. There sure is. It's crazy. So, yes, throughout this montage here, Madrox and his duplicate can't open a mayonnaise jar, and then Guido's trying to open up the mayonnaise jar, and then Lorna's like, let me use my powers, and she tries to magnetically open it, and she can't. There is a irreverence in this opening scene that is very nice. I mean, it's fun. It's cute. It strikes a it strikes a very playful tone, but... Then the issue kind of switches over to some very serious stuff, and then it kind of switches back and forth. It's very good at, like, switching between these two tones. So it's, like, it's a little more lighthearted than your X-Men or your... Yes. Uh, what else is there? Your uncanny X-Men, I guess, now. And X-Force. I was going to say your X-Factor, but then this is X-Factor now. Yeah. Yeah, your X-Force. Yeah, it's definitely more lighthearted than X-Force. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, as... You're listening, right? So in the X-Men that we're currently reading, like, action is just happening. In X-Force, action is just happening. In here, there, we're learning about these teams. We're learning about their personalities, kind of all focusing around this mayonnaise jar. But then, yeah, as, as you mentioned, we've got Valerie Cooper trying to recruit Havoc from Genosha. And this is an interesting sequence where he's like I'm, I'm making a difference we're building this whole thing for the mutates it's gonna have restaurants and swimming pools and hot tubs and it's gonna be awesome and val cooper's like yeah it's like a ghetto and he's like what and she's like no it's not a slum it's a ghetto it's a place where you put undesirable people you just happen to be building one with a swimming pool and a hot tub don't you want to do something more with your life I'm like oh yeah. that's that's okay it's pretty heady Girder... this story takes place before x-men number one uh, so There's a little note that says that the girder a girder falls from above as as they're doing their construction, and that's when Rain leaps out to save Alex, but not Val Cooper. And the girder's heading directly for Val Cooper. Havoc blasts it away, and he's like, "Why don't you move?" And she's like, "Well, I wanted to see if you'd make the right decision on instinct rather than thinking about it," <laughs> which is okay. She has a theory that when Havoc acts from instinct, he does the right thing. But when he thinks about it, he does the wrong thing. And I guess in this case, she's right, but she kind of risks her life to, to prove, prove that, it. which we'll get back to. They don't just drop it. No, it, not at all. It's, it's kind of then they have a conversation about it. But first, we cut to Quicksilver and Lockjaw. Quicksilver is looking for X-Factor. And it's interesting because he just kind of shows up out of nowhere. There's nothing in this issue that would give you an idea that... Quicksilver is going to show up. Sure, oh, he's not on the cover. No, I just like the turn of like, okay, well, Quicksilver's here and he's looking for X Factor. And I guess the question is, is he looking for Cyclops's X Factor or is he looking for this new X government X Factor team? I don't. Well, no, he's looking for the new team because later he says, I heard there was a new X Factor forming. Okay. I don't know why he's decided he needs to look for them. He might say something. I, I can't remember. I'm wondering if he's looking for ship, but probably not, because probably, oh. it's probably well known that ship is destroyed yeah. in the superhero hero community. At any rate, he does some superhero stuff. He uh, he finds a bomb. Well, and, he, uh, he shows up at the Roxon headquarters, and there's this protest movement that's happening. And I don't know why he would go there, but I guess maybe he just shows up in Washington, D.C., right. and that's where he happens to be. And so he's asking everybody for the location of X-Factor, and everyone's preoccupied on this bomb. So he uses his super speed to go get the bomb, move the bomb, take apart the bomb. Essentially dissect the bomb to take it apart, and yeah. he's like, all right, now where's X-Factor? And they're like, oh, I don't know. Like All the 
government embassy stuff is over that way. I understand they're on Embassy Row. Excellent. We'll be there in a flash. Yeah. Well, and the bomb thing is is weird, but it obviously it, well it it will set something up in in a moment. So yeah, it's I good. Mean, it's good. It's it, fine. Yeah. It's a, just an example of using their powers, familiarizing us with who they are in case we don't know, and it actually plays a, has a plot point later. So back at, I don't know, Havoc's apartment, Rain's apartment, or an office, doesn't matter. Val Cooper, I guess, has cleaned herself up from the, the Girder incident, uh, incident, and she's inviting him to come basically lead X-Factor. She's saying, hey, when you use your instinct... You do a great job, and I'm inviting you to be basically the head of a team in which you are going to be effectively pointed at things, so you won't have to think. Yeah. You will be told what to do, and you will make a difference for the mutant community. And Havoc's like, yeah, I told you before, I'm not really interested. And then Cyclops and the Professor X show up. Valerie makes a comment. She says, the chance to do some good to de-ghettoize mutants instead of building new ones. So connecting back to the the swank ghetto that Havoc was working on earlier. And then, yeah, Professor and Cyclops shows up. Wolfsbane's super happy to see the Professor. And she was, I got to go back here. Wasn't she mindless? In no, I think she had her mind back, but she was she just she decided on her own she was going to stay to help. She was, yeah, I remember she was going to stay back, but I don't remember she, how she got her mind back. Well, I think she touched Storm. Okay, <laughs> that's why all the computers can detect them because they all touch Storm at some point. Is that what it is? That, okay, yeah. Let's just let's just go with that because that's that's great. They, that's, they're not gonna no. <laughs> do anything about it. So we just fixed that problem. Storm <laughs> solved it. All right. Well, anyways, it doesn't matter. So the, the professor and uh, Cyclops are like, hey, let's let's. Well, actually, the yeah, they're like, let's go have a conversation, Alex. Let's talk about what this plan is. And so I, th- this is the one thing I don't like is that. They all go have their conversation, and then Valerie Cooper says to Rain, So, Rain, darling, can I offer you anything? A drink, a sandwich, kibbles and bits? So she's talking about, like, de-ghettoizing mutants, and then she says this, like, anti-mutant sort of sentiment. And I know it's supposed to be a joke, but it's like, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, I feel like throughout this issue, they're they're sort of setting up that this team is only going to happen if Rain is on it. And Valerie Cooper is no fan of Reigns. They're, they're trying of... to set up like a, like a, you're not, I need Alex because he's like, he's the guy, but, and you're just kind of like, you know, the add-on. We don't really need you. And I get that she's making fun of the fact that she turns into a wolf, but that's part of her mutant power. And therefore you're using what makes her a mutant to make a joke. And it's exactly kind of the opposite sentiment that she's been telling Alex all this time. Yes. And if I was Rain, I'd be like, I don't trust this Val Cooper lady. She said this thing to me, which makes me feel like she doesn't have a mutant's backs. Well, and that's an interesting observation because Val Cooper, throughout the run of the Uncanny X-Men, has been the head of like the anti-mutant legislation political side. So I'm kind of wondering if... If that's going to be a factor in this run of X Factor, it, it could be. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I've never read it, so I I, I feel mean, like certainly it's... Cyclops and the Professor don't think so because they're trying to convince Alex that this is essentially 
having a, having somebody that they know and uh, you know trust on this team is very important to them. Lasell, I mean, with what they've set up with Val Cooper and Henry Peter Gyrick and the fact that they all work together, I don't know. I feel like if they don't do something with those storylines, it's a missed opportunity. But who knows? I yeah, don't. I don't either. I'm. I'm very well. I mean, Peter David's a smart guy. I, if if I'm sure, if he's doing something different, he'll explain yeah. how it's different and maybe even handle that. Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 kind of weird if they ignore that. So the professor is working on Alex and basically says like, "Hey, we we can't be everywhere. We we need you on this team." And of course, you know, Lorna's going to be there. Yeah, but Lorna. Oh, and we didn't mention that Lorna is kind of talking to Guido in the earlier scenes about what she's going to do if Havoc shows up. Because she's kind of like, well, we've we've always had this chance to be in a relationship and it never really worked out one thing or another. They kind of skip over the whole Madeline Pryor thing. It's I feel like it's there. I mean, if you know, you know. If you're a new, brand new reader, you don't know. but And they don't get into the whole, yeah, Madeline Pryor or Malice or any of that. But they definitely say like... Hey, weird stuff happened, and we were a thing, and then we weren't a thing, and it wasn't quite our fault, and who knows? Maybe we'll be a thing again. And she seems like she'd be very excited, too, to try being a thing, but she doesn't know. Yeah. I mean, in the back of my mind, I'm like, he went sort of insane. I mean— with the, the whole Madeline Pryor thing. But I guess, you know, that's a thing that happens to mutants and, and superheroes. They have things that happen to them, and you can't really judge them based on that. Although we know that he kind of did make some really bad choices. Yeah, he made some really bad choices. But the other thing is Madeline did possess him. She was possessed by malice. So they both have sort of additional factors corrupting their sensibilities. Yeah. This is my observation. I'm just thinking if I was if I was thinking about getting back into a relationship with somebody who had been through all that, I'd be very weary. But maybe she is being very weary. Maybe I'm not cutting her any slack. Yeah. But uh, the professor does say basically this is like the new freedom force and you're going to be the head of it. And that would be very convenient for us because it's going to be a very public facing mutant team that will make mutants look good, basically. So you should really do it. Yep. And then we flip our attention back to the embassy or wherever they are. And Quicksilver shows up, whispers out to Lorna and then collapses and uh, basically find out that. Quicksilver is dying, and when he uses his powers, he he he, di- he is dying a little bit more. It's uh, impacting him, and the bomb incident really took a lot out of him. Right. Every time he uses his powers, like he said, it's killing him. He received a note that basically says that every time you use your powers, you're going to be hurt. I'm in Washington D.C. or something like that. He says somewhere that he came over specifically looking for X Factor. But I don't know where that is. There's a scene here of Jamie Madrox trying to talk to Lockjaw. Quicksilver's like, why are, why are you doing that? He's like, well, I was playing cards with Ben Grimm, you know, and he said that uh, there's a big backstory here, which I had no idea about, that apparently Karnak and some other dude played a trick on Ben Grimm saying like, yeah, Lockjaw is actually a human that was turned into a dog and he can totally understand everything you say. Since there's no reference to the issue, it makes me wonder if this is just something that Peter David made up. Oh, maybe. But then again, it feels like there would be – it would be from some issue. I hope it's from some issue. I mean you even get a panel here of 
Karnak and Gorgon like laughing. It seems like I don't know. Maybe it's a made up story. If it's a made up story, it's a, it's a really weird one to just kind of put in here. But I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does connect to the the can of mayo at right, the end. Right. Exactly. And uh, yeah, it's basically a practical joke. Practical jokes exist in the Marvel universe. Maybe I don't know. So Alex decides to join. He's on and, a plane. Uh, Rain also comes along, and we're, there's kind of a little like I think we're getting this idea that Rain's a little sweet on Alex. Maybe it's probably I mean, it's comics and it's the '90s, so probably I'd like to more think of it as like they just had they're really good friends. They bonded on Genosha. They came from sort of like terrible things that happened to them, and now they're in a place where they could potentially do some good, and now they're being offered an opportunity to maybe do more good. So I feel like Wolfsbane will kind of be maybe love interest. That's probably what will end up but i'd much rather it be like she's just kind of like his guardian angel and and just like swoops in to like make sure alex is okay i'm sure it will be whatever it is will be made more clear in upcoming issues yeah i mean that's me doing an awful lot of speculation so (laughs) maybe she just really like thinks looks up to him valerie cooper's there she gives alex photos of the team you got guido former bodyguard for an off-world rocker named Lila Shanae, built like a tank. Mm-hmm. Lorna Dane, a.k.a. Polaris, recently reacquired her mastery of magnetism. You've met. met. Jamie Madrax, the multiple man, creates replicas of himself. He's his own best friend. Any questions? You seem to be enjoying this tremendously. Oh, I am. I have a brother who's an FBI agent, and I'm so tired of him telling me about these exciting cases he gets. Like, for instance, this girl they found. She was dead. Wrapped in plastic. I wonder, I mean, obviously that's a Twin Peaks reference, but I wonder if that's a an alliteration, not an alliteration, but a, 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 a parallel to X Factor is going to be weird and we're going to reference a weird show to set that up. Or if Maybe. it's just a throwaway like everyone's talking about. What's her face? Laura Palmer. I think, I think it's probably a throwaway, but I could be wrong. I'd like to think that there's a deeper meaning, but maybe not. It's what's resonating in the culture at the time of this, probably. Yeah, absolutely. And still to this day. Yep. Did you read it like that? Wrapped in plastic. She's dead. Wrapped in plastic. In my head, I did. I can't remember exactly how he delivers the line. (laughs) But it's a very good delivery. We go back to Quicksilver. Something has done something to me. I don't know how, but they've turned my power against me. Dear Mr. Silver, haha, I have turned your power against you. You'll never find me. Sincerely an evil individual. It's got a DC postmark. So that's why he came to DC. And then he heard that, let's see, I had resolved to part company with the West Coast Avengers. The computers, okay, the computers indicated that X-Force was forming in the DC area. X-Factor. That's that's convenient. (laughs) Actually, it's already formed, says Alex, arriving on the scene in a cool scene. Alex. Much like Return of the Jedi when Luke Skywalker shows up at the end and is like, Count me in. Count me in. And then in the very next scene, he's like, I shouldn't have come. I'm jeopardizing the mission. And then just like in that scene, Leia stands up and says, Luke, and gives Luke a big hug. Right. Except this time it's Lorna, and she says, Alex, and she gives Alex a big hug. And then and um, they're not related. Then they're not related. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Well, at the time, we didn't know they were related, Luke and Leia, either. That's true. We would find out about a half hour later. You're right. That's true. Guido says, seeing this, says, aw. And, or does he say, aw? I 
think it's the former. And you're I right, Wolfsbane, she's like, hmph. So maybe she yeah. is sweet on him. And she's like, oh, everything that's old is new again, I guess. So they're continuing to try to open up the mayonnaise jar. Alex uses his powers. It doesn't work. The jar goes bouncing off over to Val Cooper, who sort of bangs it against the wall and just opens it. And she's like, the trick is you just wrap it against the wall and open it up. And then you cut over to Jamie Madrox, who is in his, I don't know, apartment or brown. I'm assuming this is a different Jamie Madrox, but it's the same jar of mayo, so it might just be later. Usually there would be a caption saying later. Later, yeah. I don't know. And he's like, oh, that's so funny. I I stole this jar from Muir Island. Like, he whipped it up. This little unbreakable jar I whipped up on Muir Island. Complete with unremovable lid, except when my little remote control allows it to be opened. That's not a very good practical joke, Jamie. But, you know, that's maybe that's part of Jamie, who Jamie is. And I think the joke was like, I'm going to have all these mutants trying to do it. And then this human's going to come along and just take care of it. That's the joke, I guess. It seems to think that humans can pull practical jokes. He hasn't crushed. He hasn't seen jokes until he's crushed swords with Jamie Madrax. Yeah. It seems a little half thought out, though. I mean, Lorna Dane's got magnetic powers. If that lid is magnetic, she should be able to just rip it off the top of the jar and be like, oh, hey, this is a trick jar. Well, maybe he knew that she would be on the team. So he really formulated it so that she wouldn't be able to open it and that she would not suspect that it was had anything to do with her powers. I don't know. Maybe. Somebody knocks at the door and he's like, well, nobody even knows I live here. Maybe it's just a salesman. I'll open up the door and boom, boom, boom. He shot, killed. He falls out of a window. Hey, what's that we word again? A, we see a shotgun. He's a defenestrated. He is totally defenestrated after being shot. Boom, want... boom, boom. Arr, crash. He falls to the ground and he is dead. And, you know. Obviously, this will this will probably end up being a dupe. And this is a very serious panel here. I mean, there's he was shot in the head and shot in the chest a couple of times, and we get to see the majority of those bloody wounds. I mean, it's not super gratuitous, but it's it's yeah. We see a close up of his eye, we, and then we see a wide shot of his whole body, and his he's got blood coming out of his head and not of his chest, and he's dead, or at least this this version of his, him is dead. Right. And this is how we open X Factor. This is pretty good. It's good mystery. We got Jamie Madrox being dead. We got the whole Quicksilver thing that they're doing on. And it says to be continued. And uh, I bought the next issue. Like I said, I don't even think if I read it, it was me just kind of thumbing through the panels and saying, I don't I don't dig this. <laughs> and I was the same way. It's just I, I liked the writing. And I think I liked Peter David at that time because I was reading Hulk. Uh, so, so I was like. This is fun. And then the next issue must not be fun because I stopped after that. Or more likely, I was just like, oh, I can't afford all these comics. Probably the latter. My weekly allowance is only $5. <laughs> I can only save up 15 I got to be able to buy some candy bars and stuff. <laughs> can't expect me to save all of my money for comic books. Yeah. Yeah, so that takes us to Wolverine number 46. The Wolverine number 46 just continues the story that we were on last time where Wolverine and Sabretooth and Lady Deathstrike and the Hunter of Darkness are all on the rooftops of New York and they're fighting. And that's pretty much all that happens in this issue. Jubilee is also involved. We see that LCD is being rebuilt by uh, Albert in the sewers of the Morlock Tunnels. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and he's using up power of, the, of New York City, so the power keeps going out so people can't see. So everybody's basically fighting in the dark. We get a mysterious woman who has some a shotgun that basically does some hallucinogenic it's bolts a, on, yeah, uh, mercury-laced bullets, which yeah, is messing with was. both Sabretooth and Wolverine's healing ability, making them hallucinate. And they both have the same hallucination, which it, I think cuts back to their – they don't really explain it, but I'm pretty sure it's their days working for the Canadian government as like a top-secret agent. Yeah, it's it's cleverly done in that in the beginning they're they're just fighting and, and essentially trying to kill each other, and as they get hit with more of these mercury bullets and kind of loot, and I don't want to say lose control, but kind of revert back into a more submissive or passive demeanor, they start opening up a little bit about things that they used to do, which causes Wolverine a whole bunch of questions. He's like, wait a minute, he's bringing up stuff that only I would know. Yeah, and and it is essentially revealed that they used to be partners. Right. I think it's a clever way to do an origin without being like, boom, here's the origin. It's more, here's some seeds, here's some things, and I'm sure... I'm pretty sure this dovetails with what's about to happen in X-Men with the whole Omega Red thing. Probably. But doesn't X, isn't it, oh, actually Wolverine number 50, isn't that the one with like the file folder and like secrets revealed and no secrets are actually revealed? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, things are revealed or, or, or things are, you know, brought upon light. But do they do they reveal any origin stuff? Only to the extent that they tie, tie up with Weapon X. I think everything comes out of Weapon X at this point. Sure. Yeah. Agreed. Um, but well, other than that, I mean, this is a, this is a solid issue. A lot of. A lot of action, a lot of good dialogue. It's a quick the read. The girl with the shotgun ends up being the daughter of somebody from Wolverine issue 34. And if they didn't reference that it was from Wolverine issue 34, I would have I, I would have been like, I kind of vaguely remember what they're talking about. Maybe it's from the previous issue. And then I'd go back to the previous issue and I'd be like, nope, I have no idea where to go in this. But luckily they told us it was 34. So I went back and read 34. 34 was the issue where Wolverine is in the 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 Canadian in a snow thing and there's some guy who kidnaps this girl and he meets up with the hunter in darkness and like a Canadian guy an old man named Doolin yep and they go after this murderer guy and they also and it turns out that this guy remembers Logan from back in World War I don't know maybe it was 2 but a long time ago Maybe it wasn't even World War Two. I forget. But apparently they were on the same military team overseas somewhere. And then he also found him in the wilderness helping out the hunter in darkness. He got the hunter in darkness out from a, like a bear trap that he was caught in. And this guy also happened to see that and shot Wolverine, who was like walking naked through the Canadian Rockies, as he does sometimes. Initially, I thought this was connected to Weapon X, where in the end, he's walking through the Canadian winter. But then I realized Wolverine wouldn't remember that. But he does remember this. So apparently he just does that every so often. I don't know. I still feel like, and it could go anyway, he doesn't remember Weapon X, but he remembers wandering through the the woods. Remember, I think we speculated that this was... After Weapon X, but before the Hudsons met him. It is certainly possible that, yeah, he, right after Weapon X, he has some memories of just wandering through the Canadian mountains in the winter, and he came across this guy, and he came across the Hunter in the Darkness, and he helped the Hunter in the Darkness. He saved his life, basically. 
And in this issue, he's like, he remembers. And I guess the hunter teams up with Wolverine for a little bit and then bails when he thinks he's going to get hurt. And yeah, and everything dovetails nicely, I guess. Yeah. Well written. Has has some sort of meaning. We know who this girl is because we've we've met her father before. And Jubilee gets some stuff to do. She's helping out. And then she's kind of thrown into some peril. But it's nice to see that she's given some stuff to do. I feel like the last issue, she just kind of like ran around. Yeah. Wolverine, where are you? Yeah. So. And then that takes us to some Infinity Gauntlet stuff. So I threw these on just because Cyclops and Wolverine in there are in them. And Which, basically, in what? Silver Surfer 55, we get to see some very grim murders <laughs> of both Wolverine and Cyclops. What's the order? Is it Infinity Gauntlet 4, then Silver Surfer, or so vice Silver versa? Surfer comes first. Okay. And they, they kind of tie in together. But Silver Surfer features Adam Warlock and Silver Surfer waiting for the rest of the Marvel Universe heroes to fight Thanos so that Silver Surfer can do something. Yeah, it's, they have a plan. And I feel like the plan is basically like distract Thanos so that Silver Surfer can fly in and steal the gauntlet. That is that is the plan. Yeah. Exactly. And in Silver Surfer issue 55, we get to see Wolverine is just kind of dead against a wall. Yeah. And this wide shot, it looks like his claws are buried in the wall or something. He but looks it, pretty badly beaten up. It's much more grim in Infinity Gauntlet number four. Like, Well, this actually turns out to be Silver Surfer's fantasy of what oh. could happen. And uh, Infinity Gauntlet four is what actually happens. Oh, okay. okay. So in Silver Surfer 55, we see Cyclops beheaded, which I just wanted to call that out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> is he beheaded? I mean, Thanos puts his head in a block of... Well, that, that's an Infinity Gauntlet oh, number four. It's okay. Silver Surfer number five. We see his head apart from his body. Okay. Have to it's go back pretty, to that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Which I don't know. I don't know why, but for, for Cyclops to be beheaded, it's just kind of clever. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. But that was just a fantasy that Silver Surfer happens about. It's basically, what if he doesn't listen to what Adam Warlock wants him to do? And he kind of goes through and sees what would happen and everybody dies, and then he ends up being Thanos' slave. And uh, ultimately, he decides, I better do what Adam Warlock does. So then we cut to Infinity Gauntlet number four, where we see what actually happens, where Wolverine gets some good stabs in into Thanos, but then Thanos turns his bones, his adamantium bones, into spongy rubber, yeah. and Wolverine just falls over. Yeah, and he's all, like, twisted up and stuff. It's That's pretty grim. And then, like you said, he puts Cyclops's head into a clear block and Cyclops just can't shoot out of it. And he's just kind of trapped in this block and he's asphyxiating, essentially. Yeah. And I think I think he dies. I'm sure. Yeah. It looks like Iron Man's dead. Spider-Man's dead. Cyclops is dead. Quasar's oh, they all dead. Die. They're all dead. I don't There's then, a lot of like Captain America, which I guess the movie more or less echoed. Like, Captain America, he couldn't hold a candle like Cyclops or Wolverine. Well, no, and he, he even like admits to that. He, he's like, like, look, I'm Captain America. As long as, as long as I stand against you, you will never be able to claim victory. And then, you know. Right. Then you'll die. And that's when Silver Surfer comes out of, and tries to get the gauntlet. And he's like, oh, man, I've been focusing too and, much on this. I need to pull it together. And he misses. Yeah. He he misses and Thanos realizes like, holy crap, that was really close. Yeah, I almost and I almost fell for that. 
So I need to like get serious about that. And that's when all of the like Marvel Universe entities show up, like the Celestials, the Inbetweener, Galactus, Mephisto, the Watcher, etc., etc., etc. The guy from the X Men. Death is the, there. What is the guy from the X Men? Which one's he? The the guy with the green cape. <gasps> oh yeah! Oh my god! What's his name? I can't remember. Uh, hang on, I'm gonna Google it. It's X Men number eleven. <laughs> he, he traps. He eventually traps Magneto on his planet for a while because he wants Magneto for scientific reasoning, and Magneto eventually escapes with Toad. Oh, the only thing it's pulling up is new X Men eleven. Yeah, I want to say like it's some dumb name like oh, the Wizard or something. I can here's the cover. It's just a dude in like a scientist coat. The Stranger. The Stranger. That's You're right. I didn't because. Yeah, the, he just kind of shows up in X-Men number 11. I don't even think the X-Men defeat him. He just, like, leaves. And then you're right. Like, much later, there's another thing where Toad gets sent to the Stranger Planet, doesn't he? Toad and Magneto Toad are and on Magneto. the Stranger Planet, and they end up stealing a rocket I on thought, his planet or something like that. But, but doesn't Magneto strand Toad on the Stranger Planet? That sounds familiar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. That's a good pull, Adam. I would not have... I would have not have went there with that guy. Um, yeah, so, you know. So obviously all of this is going to get retconned. The but... other neat thing, of course, but the other neat thing was seeing Mephisto in Silver Surfer number 55 basically get his killed by Thanos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Well, right now, like, Mephisto is Thanos' lackey because Thanos has all the power. And Mephisto, of course, is... You know, event he's planning to betray him at some point. He just and Thanos knows he's planning to betray him, but he just hasn't worked out when. Yeah. Avengers three thirty eight just features Beast still in the microverse of the collector's world, and they discover that they find some old guy who is like the original member of the Brethren, and the Brethren are the guys that are attacking the Avengers right now. They're the they're the new nineties hot bad guys. And uh, it turns out that the collector is the ultimate bad guy who has been manipulating events all to this thing. He he released the Brethren, but didn't let them know that. And yeah, I, Captain America number three, a 92. Yeah, this this was interesting. It's the return of Arclight. We haven't seen her. Yeah, I'm not even going to cover it. I just wanted to mention <laughs> that Arc, Arclight's in it, which is interesting because like, I guess after the Marauders were done, she went to. She went to join this island of the Femazons yes, I, with all these other super heroic women who yes. were going to take over the world. The I believe the plan was to to they were going to drop a bomb on the world that would make it so that all women on the planet were infertile and so that men would have to uh, propagate with the women on this island only. And so they would dominate the world in this way. I that's a really weird plot. <laughs> Can you tell me what's happening with Captain America though? Like what what else is this is this Steve Rogers? Is this somebody else? No, that's Captain America. He is infiltrating the planet the the island of the Femazons, so he has to dress up like essentially a woman. What? And uh he's not dressed so up he, like a woman, he's just like a in in a like a dark suit. That's a woman's outfit. Oh. But it, it, <laughs> It looks okay. <laughs> oh, all right. I, I guess. How is it a woman's suit? I mean, he's barrel-chested and, and muscly and... It's a very muscular-looking woman. I don't know. I think there was a couple... Maybe in the previous issue, it was more feminine and a little bit more silly. 
But yeah. yeah, in this issue, I mean, he just looks like Captain America in some random suit. But there are no men allowed on this island. So this is a woman's outfit. And I wish I could tell you the woman whose outfit he stole. Uh, but, it's okay. Uh, I don't care. I mean, you can see in <laughs> on like page five where he's on the ground that he's got like an open chest. Yeah. Which is very you yeah. know feminine of uh, the style of the times. I suppose. So, yeah. Well, anyways, that's what uh, she's not given much to do. No, not really. She fights Captain America. She holds her own. So, yeah. I mean, that's good at least. I guess it's nice that these editors and writers are like, hey, this character's not being used. Don't yeah. create a new one. Use this one. Yeah. And then Marvel Comics Presents number 74 is basically, it features Iceman and uh, Human Torch and a ticking time bomb. Basically, I think the story takes place in 10 minutes or 10 seconds. It might be 10 seconds. Yeah. There's a countdown through each page, like 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And the, it culminates with, so Alicia Masters has been kidnapped. Johnny Storm and Bobby Drake were having dinner and somebody, I don't remember who, shows up and is like, ho, ho, ho. Master or something like yeah. that. Time bomb. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to steal Alicia and kill her. And the only way to solve it is for Iceman to freeze the bomb to absolute zero, which is yelled out in the final panel. And he saves it with one second remaining on the bomb. It's not a very good story. It's Yeah, it's very short. The twist is that. Iceman's the only one who can solve the problem, not Torch. But Torch is able to help Iceman by sucking all of the heat moisture out of the air. <laughs> yeah. Which, okay, whatever. I guess it's fun to do Torch-Iceman crossovers because they're diametrically opposed. Yeah, I mean, you know, but... it doesn't really add anything, but it was entertaining for the eight pages that it was there. Right. And that's it. That's it. That. Those were all of the B-sides for this month, whatever month it was in Marvel Comics, 1990s edition. 1991 is what I saw on the X Factor. I don't know what month. It's like September and October of 1991, according to Marvel Unlimited, if you can, if you can trust that. Which I say, why not? Sure. Adam, do you have trust issues? <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know why either. There's no reason for me to have trust issues. No one's ever, like, betrayed me in a horrible way. That you know of. That's true. I've been betraying you this whole time. (laughs) That's a very long con of you. (laughs) I'm impressed. It's a long game. Trust me, it's going to pay off in about 15 years. Okay. I can't wait to see what the payoff is. (laughs) All this time wasted. All right. Well, you got anything else, Adam? No. Me neither. So, until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. (laughs) 